Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. 26, it says that God uh, made man on the sixth day in His own image. It says, in the image of God made He him, male and female, created he them. So uh, we're talking about the, the, the idea that man is made in the image of God uh, and what that means. And, you know, on the, on the surface, it almost just seems like it means that, you know, five, two arms, two legs, you know, five fingers on each hand, that this, is, this must be what God looks like, you know, and uh, really that's not the idea at all. You know, um, obviously in the person of Christ, we understand that, but um, but to be made in the image of God is infinitely more uh, in the invisible, in, in what we are intrinsically and inherently uh, in our spirit, in our mind, in, in our soul, in our emotions. You know, we're made in his image. And so uh, what sets us apart from every other created thing is not what we look like, um, but, but what our capacities are, what our faculties are the essence of what we are in the inside. And so um, uh, last week we looked at what it means that, that, that we are relational, being made in the image of God. God is relational. Um, he thrives in relationship. It's in the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. There's fellowship there. And then God making man to be in fellowship with himself. And so uh, God has an appetite and a capacity for relationship, and he gave that to us. That's in us. It's not something that, um, that, that, that some people want and some people don't. We all do. You know, it's in us. God made us in his image. Um, the second thing that we're talking about this morning is that God, uh, in his person, he is also rational. And that is that God thinks. And that is something that he inherently passed on to us. And so our cognitive abilities, our rationale, our ability to think is something that has been imparted to us by God and it's inherent in us because we're made in his image. Uh, and so that's a divine attribute and, uh, and therefore it's powerful, it's important, uh, and it's precious, it's meaningful, it's something that God's given to us. And so I want to look at it, think about it th- this morning with us and what it means, the ramifications of it uh, for our discipleship and for our future. And so uh, um, what, what does it really mean to think? If we think about being rational beings, um, to think, and, and you know, we all could, could describe this in our own words, but just uh, for, for order's sake, to, the ability to think, it, it literally means the ability to collect and absorb data. You know, that we can observe and then we can absorb uh, and, and draw conclusions and facts from what we're seeing. It's the ability to analyze, uh, the ability to process things, uh, the ability to compare uh, one thing with another thing and make connections between those things or things in our mind or what's already in us versus things that we're learning. We're able to make connections and bring those things to conclusions. We can draw conclusions as thinkers. Uh, our ability to think is what makes us able to to imagine uh, that we can image things, and that could be uh, imagining things that we've already seen, or we can imagine things that no one has seen yet. We have the ability to do that, to draw those images in our mind. We have the ability to create. It's our mental faculties that make us creative. It was God's ability to think that, uh, that allowed him to plan the creation and then execute that plan. You know, that came from his mind. He, he created that. Uh, he, he made concept and then brought it to fruition. Our, our ability to think makes us able to dissect things, to look at something and then break it down into its simplest forms 
for the sake of understanding it. That all comes from the mind. And, and also our ability to think gives us the ability to recall or to remember. And so to bring back or draw upon things that we already know, things that are already inside of us, all of those things and more, we could make that list more exhaustive, uh, all come from our ability to think. And that's something that God has given to us. Now, just a few facts about the human mind. Um, is that what you know most computational neuroscientists estimate that the human storage capacity is somewhere between 10 and 100 terabytes of data or information that can be stored in the brain uh, though guesses range from 1 terabyte all the way up to as many as 2.5 petabytes uh, which um, is like a, a thousand, a petabyte is a thousand terabytes. And so, you know, it, I mean, those are the guesses. There's no way to measure that, to actually quantify how much data can be stored in the mind. But, but, but really, it, it's almost immeasurable. It's, it's, it's amazing. Now, the processing power, you know, that's data. You know, how many photos can you store? How many videos in 4K can you store in your brain? You know, that's the data. You know, processing, um, again, is very powerful. Now, we don't process quickly. That's why we use calculators and computers and things, because they calculate much quicker than we do. But our processing power is probably greater uh, than any computer. I mean, and in a sense, like, that makes sense, because we're creating the computer that's processing at that level, you know. So uh, it might take us a long time to get there, but we have amazing processing powers. The the human um, mind or the human brain, when it's awake, has enough energy going through it at any given time to power a 23-watt bulb. <laughs> you know, it takes about 20% uh, of the energy that we're using at any given time. That's what's firing up our mind. It's, it's, it's what's moving through us. And so it's an amazing thing uh, that God has given to us. Now, our cognitive powers, our mind, our ability to think, is what gives us the ability to adapt to any environment that we're in or circumstance or setting that we're in. Uh, it gives us the ability to survive. That's what God's given to us. And, and ultimately, to dominate. That's why, I mean, other than the fact that God made it so, uh, that's why we are on the top of the food chain. I mean, if you think about it, you go on a safari or something like that, and you, you look at all these animals in, in creation, you see lions, which are the king of the jungle, and you look at their strength and their claws and their speed, that is their strength. That's why they survive, because that's what's been given to them. You look at an elephant, and an elephant's strength is in its size. You know, ain't nobody messing with the elephant, you know, because they'll stomp on you, and that's what he's got. The scorpion, very small, but his power is in its venom and in its sting, and it survives because of what it's been given. You know, a bird doesn't have a big brain, and it doesn't have anything ferocious about it for the most part, you know, but their, their, their strength is in their flight. They're, that's their protection. It's what God gave them so that they could survive. But you look at man, we're no match for a lion, we're no match for an elephant, we can't fly like a bird, we can't run, even from a skunk, (laughs) you know, like we're not fast, you know, we've got, we've got, when when you look at it in the physical realm, like, it doesn't make any sense that we should survive, but what God has given to us is our mind, that's our strength. And what puts us on the top is our mind. And so we're able to then leverage our mental faculties to then dominate over everything else. And so our mind gives us the ability to survive and to, and to dominate. Now, the human mind has 
this amazing potential because we're made in the image of God and, and that part of him has been transferred to us. We have a practically unlimited power in what we've been given. Unable to even measure it. And, and so if you were healthy, if your mind was healthy for a thousand years, then for a thousand years, it would continue to develop and grow and expand and experience. And all of the things that have been placed in it for that thousand years would be drawn upon and would be part of the connection, understanding, continuum that causes us to thrive. And so God's given us this amazing thing in our mind that can expand, it can develop, and it can experience continually, and it will. I mean, when we're in glory and heaven, uh, we will understand fully what that means. Now, if you're in Ephesians chapter 4, in this passage that we're going to look at, it's going to start in verse 17. The Apostle Paul gives the most amazing and comprehensive understanding of the human mind that exists probably anywhere in the entire universe. He describes it both in its fallen condition, which is important, and he describes it in its redeemed position. And that's more important, you know. And so he gives to us here this amazing picture, and I want to look at it. So if you would, begin with me in verse 17. Paul says this. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. To, the, the word testify uh, in, in this, this um, uh, uh, context is that he, is, he has been imparted the authority to lay down official testimony on behalf of God. So he's saying something under the authority of the Spirit of God here. He says, I'm testifying this in the Lord, that you henceforth from now on Walk not. To walk means to live. So, so your lifestyle, the way that you're to conduct yourself, your behavior, your mindset, that you walk not as other Gentiles walk, that is the unsaved person, the person that doesn't know Jesus. So Paul is talking to Christians and he's comparing us now with non-Christians, that you no longer walk as other Gentiles walk. And how do they walk? Listen, in the vanity of their mind. Now, vanity is emptiness or futility or a lack of cognitive strength. In other words, what he's saying is that the Gentile mind, the person that does not know Jesus, that is separated from the life of God, they have a mind, but their mind is empty. Their mind is incomplete. Their mind is not functioning in the capacity that God created it to function. They're not all there. The lights are kind of on. Well, let's put it this way. Somebody's home, <laughs> but the lights aren't on. <laughs> you know, that's really more, more the picture of, of what it is. Now he's going to describe the Gentile mind. This is what we're not to be like because we have Jesus living inside of us. This is what our mind is not to be. Verse 18, he says, having the understanding darkened. All right, that's the first uh, descriptive characteristic of the unsaved, incomplete mind, is that the understanding is darkened. He doesn't say that the understanding is dead. He says it's darkened. Okay, so the understanding is literally the, the, the ability to uh, obtain information, to understand something. So you walk in a room, I've seen you before, I've met you before, so I know your name. I connect what I'm seeing in your face with what I know to be your name. 
and I tell you, hello, Luigi. I greet you by name. That's a, that's a byproduct of understanding. So I have understanding, the ability to take knowledge in and bring it to conclusions. But, he says, the understanding is darkened. And so if the understanding is darkened, what that means is that I understand things, but I'm never able to bring them to their proper conclusion. I can't connect what I know enough to bring it to why I know those things and what's the purpose of that information. Really what it is, it's knowledge without wisdom. I have knowledge, but I don't know what to do with it. And so humankind, we have the collective cognitive ability to split an atom and extract the amazing level of energy that is released when that reaction takes place. That's understanding. But because our understanding is darkened, we'll use that understanding to destroy a country rather than provide electricity for a country because our understanding is darkened. We have the information, but we're not bringing it to its proper conclusion. And that happens every day. In, in, you just think about in the medical field, what they're able to study and dissect and understand. But rather than using those things for productive means, oftentimes those things are used and leveraged for destructive means or for profitability rather than for health, healing, and wholeness. And that happens all the time. You know, uh, you think of any advantage that God has given to any person, including yourself. Think about the advantages that God has given you. You know, we all have different gifts, talents, abilities. You know, to have our understanding darkened means that we understand that we have these abilities, but we're unable to bring those things to their proper conclusion. The understanding is darkened. He then goes on to say, being alienated from the life of God, meaning that they're cut off from the source of life that's supposed to be empowering the mind. We're alienated. We're, we're not familiar with God. And here's the reason why. He says, through the ignorance that is in them. Here's the plight of human mental disability, is that they ignore, that's where the word ignorance comes from, they ignore the person of God who created the mind and is the completer of the mind. The reason why the understanding is darkened, the reason why humanity is cut off from God, is because I'm willingly ignorant of his existence and of his power and of his person. He's made those things known, but in our fallenness, listen to this, I'm going to say something that's going to make you think for a minute. We are fiercely committed to self-survival. That's, if you think about it, when, when Adam partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what he brought upon himself was a desire to rule himself. I, I know good and evil now. I don't need God to rule me. I can do it myself. And so inherent because of the fall in us is, is a drive to be independent of God. We resist God because we want to do it ourselves. And, and so in that, I ignore him. I, I don't want to see them. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to look at the evidence. Give me a reason why I shouldn't have to because I want to do this myself. I want to do this my way. And that ignorance has caused alienation. That alienation has caused my mind to be separated from God, which means that my understanding is darkened. My mind is not what it's supposed to be. Now, because it's separated from the life of God, it says also that there is then a blindness of the heart. My heart is blind. I can't see. Sight is not, it's not eyes of my head. This is the eyes of my heart. 
So I cannot see clearly what's going on around me in all the different realms. I'm limited and my heart is blind because of it. Now, because of that, that leads to the next thing, verse 19. It says, who now, these Gentiles, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness. That means just filthiness or unrighteousness or license to just do whatever I want. It says that they're past feeling and they've given themselves over unto lasciviousness. What does that mean to be past feeling? Now, fallen man, okay, Gentile mind, still has a conscience. You know, that little voice inside that says, you shouldn't do that, you should do that, that's right, that's wrong, don't lie, don't, you know, we have that. We're born with a conscience, okay? Now, the conscience that's in fallen man is a remnant of the original senses. God has put that in us. There's an awareness in us that makes us uh, turn to him. Now, the conscience in us is the part of us, even fallen, that feels conviction when we do something wrong, feels shame when we know we did something wrong, and it feels emptiness. That's what our conscience does. It, It makes us feel like I'm missing something. There's more to life than this. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? Those are things that are activities of the conscience that happen inside of us. And that happens even in the Gentile mind. But here's what happens. The conscience is designed to drive us to truth. Why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel ashamed? Why do I feel empty? And God put a conscience in us to drive us to search for answers. But because I'm fiercely committed to being independent from God, I need to shut that voice down. And so I'm going to do something. I'm going to sin against my conscience. I'm going to continue to plow forward in spite of the conviction and shame and emptiness and keep filling myself with whatever it is that I'm going after. Now, there's a price to pay for that because what happens is that the conscience becomes hardened. It becomes calloused. Paul used the word seared in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said they have their conscience seared with a hot iron. And that means that it can no longer feel. The nerve endings of my conscience are cauterized because I don't want to feel conviction over my sin. I don't want to feel shame for my behavior, and I don't want to feel emptiness. So I'm going to keep doing what I have to, and I'm going to damage my conscience. That's what Paul means here when he says that they're past feeling. He says they're past feeling. They no longer feel the shame or the conviction or the emptiness of their conscience because their ignorance and darkened understanding has driven them to just give themselves over to whatever they want to do. And here's, what, here's the outcome of that in the end, the end of verse 19. It says to work all uncleanness with greediness. Uncleanness in the New Testament is always used in a sexually perverse context. The word uncleanness means to just be unclean, morally unclean. And, and with greediness, that the idea behind greediness is it's never enough. That I'm gonna, I am giving myself over to my sin. I'm going to do whatever I want, and yet I'm never going to be satisfied by it. And so whatever it takes. Sometimes, you know, you, you see someone like uh, this guy Epstein or Weinstein, and you wonder, how do you get there? How does a person get to the point, to the place where they will import children or minors, you know, uh, to use, abuse, and then get rid of, and, and like they're nothing. Like, how, do you, how does a person get to that point? Here's the answer to that question. If all of us were unhealthy for a thousand years, 
we would all end up in the same place. Because that's the path that the Gentile mind goes down. And so when the understanding is darkened and the conscience is seared, then I'm going to give myself over to whatever I want with greediness, meaning that it's never enough. And so because my conscience is seared, I don't care anymore. I don't care about what happens to this young girl or young boy. I don't care what happens to uh, you know, this wife and family that I'm leaving behind. I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. All I want is what I want. It's, my, me, it's all about me. That's, this is what the Gentile mind does because it's darkened, because it's cut off from the life of God. This is the description of the unsaved person, where they're going. This is what they've do- what's happened to their mind, what's made been made in the image of God, what they do with it. Now, on the other side of that is the saved mind. Watch Paul, verse 20. He says, but you, and I'm so thankful that there's a but you in this passage, (laughs) because it means that not everybody has to go this way. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you, this is to us now, Put off. Now, that means that there's got to be a change. Concerning the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And here's what we're to do. Ready? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, when we're born again, and we ask Jesus to forgive our sins and to seal us with his Holy Spirit and to come into our life, Part of that renewal of him coming inside is that he is going to turn the lights on in our mind. And he's going to make or begin to make our mind what he intended it to be when he made man in the first place. We're going to be renewed. We're not given over to a corrupt mind, to a Gentile mind. But rather we have hope that he's going to work in our minds and he's going to change them. Some people don't like to change their mind. Jesus likes to change minds. And so he says, here's how that happens. Verse 24, he says that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. All right, now that's important. If you notice what he says there in verse 24, because basically what he's, what he's saying here is that we're to re-educate and enlighten the purpose of our mind. Now he said that we're to put off the old, and put on the new, right? There's a disengaging from what was and an embracing of what is. And so part of that is a repentance. Do you see where there's repentance in there? Anytime you're going to put something off, it means you're turning away from something. And so part of it is recognizing the corruption of of what my mind was or is apart from Christ, and then repenting of that. And then here's here's the word. It's a painful word. It's hard to even say it. Surrender. (laughs) that hurts almost as much to tell a man to surrender as it does to tell a woman to submit, (laughs) right? To tell a man, surrender your mind back to God, your ability to think. Now, listen, this this is huge. Your mind, your ability to think was not created to work independent of connection with God. We work, our mind works in tandem with God. Apart from God, it's darkened, can never carry things to their right conclusion. And so repentance of the old is the first step towards the renewal and the injection of the new. And so to to surrender control of the mind is to invite God in. And when you invite God in, the Bible says that God is light. So what happens to your mind? You become enlightened. 
you know, not in the Shirley MacLaine, Wayne Dyer sense, but in the Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit of God sense, right? He comes in and the light of the world turns the lights on in my mind and my understanding is no longer in a position of darkness, but now it's in the light. I'm in the light. That's why it says walk in the light as he is in the light. So now I'm to re-educate and enlighten the purpose of my mind. Where does that happen? Here's the environment of it. It's verse 24. It says, in righteousness and true holiness. Meaning that the environment where my mind is going to be renewed and where it's going to thrive is in righteousness and holiness. So that's the garden or the soil where my mind needs to be planted if it's going to become what God makes it to be. It will not thrive in any other environment. So if I try to continue to operate my mind in an unholy or unrighteous position or way, then my mind is continually going to bear the fruits of darkness. My mind has to be transplanted to a place where I say, Lord, I want my mind to be filled with righteousness. I want my my mind to be filled with your holiness, with the knowledge of your person. That's the environment where it's going to happen. And then he begins to just give examples. I'll read these verses quickly, and then I'll just summarize what they say. Watch verse 25. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry, this is number two, but sin not. So anger is valid, but it has its place. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Verse 28. Let him that stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. Next. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. I, I, love, I love that there because you think about what that means. You, you, you put the word grieve alongside the Holy Spirit. It, it, it gives personhood to him, doesn't it? It's not an it. It's not a force. He, he's a person and he can experience grief, the emotion of grief. And that's an amazing thing to realize that the Spirit of God is in us and can be grieved. What an amazing tool to realize that like, you can grieve the Spirit and you can feel that and, and you can govern your actions based on it. He says, verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Here's another one, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, all the speaking of sexual sin, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Another one. Neither filthiness nor foolish joking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So a potty mouth, snide comments, innuendos. For this you know that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now here's why. Verse 8. Now, uh, actually, we'll get into verse 8 in, in, in just a moment, but I want to just give a summary of the examples that Paul gives of what righteousness and true holiness looks like in the decisions that we make. Number one is that we're to tell the truth. 
The, the mind thrives in a truth-telling environment. Secondly, we're to have management over our emotions, specifically the emotion of anger. That we need to know how to, what, what it's for, how it's to be used, and that we're to have control over it. That the mind thrives in, an, in, a, in a self-controlled environment. Uh, third is that we're to make honest provision for ourselves and for our families. That, that when we're honest about the way that we're providing and conducting ourselves in our day-to-day lives, uh, that that's a, an environment where our mind is going to thrive. Uh, another is what we allow to come out of our mouth. Wholesome speech. The things that we say uh, that, that our words would edify and not tear down, that our words would be thankful and not complaining, that the way that we speak, there's to be a positive element to those things because that's the environment where our mind will thrive. We're going to grow. Uh, another one is uh, our waste removal system. Uh, that's the summary of verse 31 where it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Uh, that there's to be um, you know, a, a putting away of those things, recognizing what they are and knowing how to repent of them. When, I, when I'm bitter, what, what do I do with any sin? I repent of it. I can't change it. I can't see it. What does bitterness look like? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where's the bitterness switch? Anybody find it? If you do, let me know where it is because I need it a couple times a day. You know? But there is one. It's called repent. <laughs> you know? Just repent. Lord, I, I change my heart. I forgive me. This is not of you. you know? That's a waste removal system. how we deal with it. Uh, another one is our attitude towards others, especially other Christians. We're to love each other. We're not to compare ourselves, put down, criticize. You know? we, we're to love one another. That's, a, a, that's an environment where our mind is going to thrive. That's what God wants to, to walk in. And then uh, another is our sexuality. Our sexuality is to be whole, wholesome you know, dealt with and put in its right place. And we're to be generally positive people. All of these things are what Paul gives as examples of a place where the mind will be healthy and productive and empowered. And now he, he puts the capstone on his instruction beginning in verse 8. Watch this. He says, here's, here's the reason why. See the word for at the beginning of the verse? Maybe you're not using King James. You could repent of that too. The Holy Spirit definitely... Ah! <laughs> <No>, just... <laughs> I'm joking. I'm kidding. That's not coarse jesting either. That's biblical. It's positive. It fits the criteria. <laughs> Listen, the, the word for in the Bible is a good word. It's a reason word. When you see the word for, he's answering the reason why. I'm a why guy. Why? 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 Well, he's telling us why. For you were sometime darkness. At one point, you were in darkness. We all were born in this way. But now you are light in the Lord. So walk or live as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. He says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Don't be brackish. Don't have parts of your mind or behavior that are renewed and other parts that are still corrupt. Don't mix it. Have no fellowship with it, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them or by them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatever does make manifest is light. And this is why he says, verse 14, Awake, you that sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In other words, as you walk in the light, he's going to provide light, and your mind is going to thrive. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding. There's that word again. Let the lights be on in your understanding. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then verse 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't cloud out your judgment and your thinking with things that you know are going to tamper with the health of your mind, but rather be continually filled with the Spirit of God, which is the fuel for your mind. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, here he gives us this instruction. Now here's the result of all of this. The result is going to be that in this environment, the, the environment of righteousness and true holiness, in the light walking with God, your mind is going to reach its highest end. Your mind is going to be healthy, it's going to be expansive, it's going to be prolific, it's going to be fully functional as God intended it to be. It's the place where you're going to find your most creativity, where you're going to feel the most satisfied, and you're going to be the most joy-filled. Because this is what God has given to us. It's something that's been imparted to us in his image. And the path to transformation, to finding it, is repentance. That's the, 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 where it is. What does God say? It's Isaiah 118. It's my only other slide this morning. Like... He says, come now and let us reason together. That's the mind, right? This is where it happens. God says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If, there's an if there, which means we have a choice, right? If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. In other words, we, we have the ability to create this environment through our repentance. As we recognize the things that are hindering the, the proliferation of our mental capacities, we repent of those things. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. And so the confession and the repentance removes it and it brings light in its place, which fosters then the health of our mental faculties. What's going to be the result? What are we going to see happen in us? First of all, our personality, your personality, your God-given, unique, dynamic personality is going to come into its fullness when your mind is in its renewed position and growing. You'll be dynamic. The lights are going to be on. We, we were made to be reflectors of God's light. And, and the amazing, this amazing thing happens when, when light gets with other light, especially when there's different spectrums or different frequencies of light, is that it creates a, a unique and different form of light. It's like mixing spices or ingredients. And when you get two people that are enlightened and alive in the same place, the two of them interacting create a light in and of itself. And then you add a third to that. And, and pretty soon there's a prism of glory. There's like a Shekinah that comes out of, uh, of a group of fellowshipping people that are in the light. Because our personalities are mixing. We're impacting one another. We're making a difference in each other's lives. But that's something that happens as our minds are renewed. That's where our personality comes forward. Another thing is that our understanding is illuminated. And what that means is that we have a strong ability to perceive, to feel, to judge and to determine, and, and therefore our decision-making and our discernment become sharp. When our mind is healthy, we walk into a situation or we walk into a room and we can perceive what's going on. It's not, it's not judgmentalism. 
It's not coming to improper conclusions. It's seeing clearly what's going on and being able to discern it for what it is and then knowing what to do with it. That's, a, that's what the healthy mind can do. It happens quickly because you're connected with God, and so you're seeing things that aren't right there out, out on the surface. An, another thing is that you'll have a healthy self-awareness. When the mind is clear, right, then that's when we have the ability to, to really discern even ourselves. You know how it says in Hebrews, it says that all things are naked and opened before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And it says that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. If our mind is, is healthy, okay, then the word of God is going to reveal right and wrong inside of us. And it's going to give us the ability to say, why am I doing that? Why am I thinking that? Why am I behave? Why am I responding this way? Why am I angry right now? Why am I bitter? And, and, and not to say, I don't know. But when there's clarity, we know why. And, you, and then I'm able to say, wow, that's, <laughs> that's some corruption in me. And I need to repent of it. I need to deal with that. You know what I mean? There's, there's, a, there's a clarity inside. There's a healthy self-awareness. And that becomes a protection for me. You know, because I can be on guard against the things I know are going to cause me to stumble. I don't put myself in front of it because I know me, because I'm aware of me. And it becomes a tool that helps me repent so I can grow even more. And then finally, when our, when our mind is healthy, it's in the right environment, our cognitive powers are what they're supposed to be, listen to this, then our mind becomes a channel of God's glory that can flow through us. The mind is like a garden hose. A garden hose makes an excellent transporter, but a terrible container. <laughs> right? <laughs> if, you, if you store water in a garden hose and then drink it, <laughs> you've done that before. You know, that warm hose flavor is so wonderful, isn't it, that you get out of it. A garden hose was not intended to be a container. It was intended to, be, intended to be a channel. And when it becomes a channel, then it doesn't take on, the water doesn't take on the flavor of the channel. It just, the channel is just a source to get it where it's supposed to go. And so when the mind is, is, is healthy and it's in fellowship with God and I'm connected with God, then his thoughts flow free, freely through me and, and there's a continual benefit from that because I'm alive. I'm connected to the source. I'm not cut off and just what's in there is in there. I'm, I'm walking with God. And so to be made in his image and to be rational in that capacity, I'm connected to God. My mind is alive. I'm walking in the light and therefore I'm becoming what God intended me to be mentally. And there's health in that. And so Next time we'll get together, we'll talk about what it means that we're made in the image of God and that we're emotional. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.